here, here's something interesting, uh, Sid. There's really two things about a wholesaler. And I say this with all great respect. Number one, their job is to make money by moving cases. And they make their money they offer their largest suppliers. Secondly, they will never do exactly what you hope they will do. They will disappoint you every time. And I, again, I mean that in a great way. Hey guys, super pleased to announce that the top 100 wines list is now out. You can visit top100lwc.com to find these products. If you are an importer or a distributor or even a retailer looking to add new wines to your portfolio, these are the products you would want to add. They are rated by London Wine Competition and they are rated by quality, value and package. That's exactly how your end consumers are buying. We're pushing this a list to the end consumers and hope you can stack it. Check them out. Hi, welcome to the Wine, Whiskey and Weed Show. Today, my guest is Eric Quera. Eric is one of the finest sales and marketing experts out there in the industry. Eric has sold over 50 million cases of wine and developed over 500 wine brands. Today, I'm going to chat with him on how you can find a wholesaler, what works, how do you qualify a wholesaler. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks. So, yeah, I've uh, I've contributed to that much wine, but I've it looks like I've tried to drink that much over the last 18 years while I've been in the industry as well. So I think it's impressive on both levels. So I've been in the business for about 18 years now. I, I left high tech right around when 9-11 hit, and I'm that kind of a story that uh, didn't want to do what I thought I had to do every day. I wanted to go do what I loved, which was wine. I used to uh, do little internships down at Rosenblum in Alameda. I was living in the Berkeley Hills doing the high tech thing. And the long story short is that I just uh, said I, I would love to go up to wine country and get a job in wine. And wouldn't you know it, my first job was with Kendall Jackson managing over 5 million cases of wine. So um, I got very lucky because it was like drinking from the fire hose. I, I, you know, wineries all over the world, one of the biggest brands in the industry. And I just learned from one of some of the greatest minds in wine work for those companies. And over the last subsequent 17 years, I bounced around to other companies like Allied Demec, and I managed um, great brands there like Buena Vista, uh, Mum Napa. I was there for four years in Rutherford, um, whatever that was in their portfolio. Uh, Gary Farrell, Russian River Pinot Noir. I had some international brands for a short period of time, like some champagnes, as well as uh, Campo Viejo Riojas. And, um, and then I went uh, to Terravant, which was a private label company. Um, and that's where I, that's where all those wines and all those brands developed. I was developing brands for the biggest retailers in the U.S., from BevMo to uh, Darden uh, restaurant groups. And that was amazing because I got to travel the world. You know, up to that point, I was working in marketing and in the ivory tower, if you will, of the winery. And very rarely did the marketing people get out on the road. So I got to be in front of all the customers, Safeway, Kroger, you name it, small, big, and I was in front of people every day. Uh, my job was to travel, and that was really eye-opening because it opened up the sales side of my life. I, I only knew really the brand marketing up to that point. And, uh, and after that, I went to Vineyard 29, which is about uh, a $300 Uber premium Cabernet, that's, uh, and they have other wines in, in St. Helena. So I did the luxury Napa thing for a short period of time, which I just loved. They had the greatest wines in the world, so it wasn't, wasn't that hard of a job for that period of time. And uh, now I'm with my own little wine company called Reserve Tastings Wine Company. Um, it's a wine and music club, and it's all online, reservetastings.com. So that's, that's my Super. little I also, I also think that you wrote a book as well, right? And then I just completed a book. After I left in year 29, I had some time off while I was building this other company, and I wrote a book called When Great Wine is Not Enough. 
um, wine sales and marketing guide for wineries, negotiants, and wine brand owners. It's available on Amazon. And uh, the great thing about this book, it's intended for people who want to build brands. Now, that could be an uh, uber-wealthy person that just came into the industry, want to build a brand in a winery, or it could be just negotiant, some, some cool uh, person in Miami that just wants to have a brand in Florida and they want to build a wine brand, to uh, maybe a, a wine company that has a brand that's not doing very well and they want to restart it. So I, I wanted to help people developing brands the right way. And what I found mostly was a lot of people just focus on the wine or the architecture of the winery. And not a lot of people hire a sales and marketing person up front. They hire a winemaker, a winemaker consultant, architectural firm, whatever it is, but they never hire a sales and marketing person. And I, I, the whole book is really based around that. And things like, I think we're going to talk about today, like, do you go direct to consumer or do you go wholesale? And if you go wholesale, how do you do it? I've watched so many people really just screw that up, quite honest with you, and just just tackle it. So let's dive into that. You know, well, yeah. Why don't we go a little deeper on uh, how to find a wholesaler? Okay. Yeah, so that that part um, was really disheartening to me, watch people kind of fumble around that. Um, so, um, you know, finding a wholesaler is, a, is not as easy as everybody believes, especially with the wholesale consolidation going on today. Um, you know, that everybody's consolidating down, the big wholesalers are just getting bigger, and there's a bunch of little guys out there. So really the first kind of step in the whole thing is knowing yourself, knowing what your goals are. It's, a, it's interesting to me that I've met, you know, um, little brands that I've developed for, you know, little brand, maybe, you know, whatever, five, 10,000 cases, which was little where I was at. And they, uh, and they just say, we just want to sell it as many states as possible. And it's really an, really an awful strategy. Or they know someone at Southern Glaciers. And that's an awful strategy because, you know, you go to the shiniest uh, star and, and sometimes that's not the best for you or them. Um, knowing your own strengths, knowing exactly what you want to do is super important. Do you want to be a big brand and go nationwide or do you want to be a small boutique brand? Do you want to hold price at $80 a bottle or do you want to go $10 and stack it high and stack it wide? So it's it's no different than <laughs> dating. You you. You figure out the kind of person you are and who can uh, put up with your daily uh, issues and your and your daily greatness as well. And I like with my wife, I found the perfect match for me. And it's the same thing with um, a wholesaler uh, network. You got to find the perfect match. You know, the next thing I think is really interesting is the the markets. Everybody, most most everybody, tries to blow it open to fifty markets, forty seven markets, whatever it is. I think it's just a really terrible way to go. And also, sometimes they go to the big markets like Florida, Texas, New York, right, Illinois, California. Those are the noisiest and they're the busiest. And so, you know, sometimes just choosing a strategy with sticking with mid-Atlantic and starting off that way. Having a, having a strategy where you don't have to make a million dollars overnight. And because to me, slow wins the race and wine, especially developing a distribution network. And going to like five states, eight states in a, in a maybe in an area, or by the way, it could be background. It could be Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and where, right? Just go to places where, and North Carolina with Charlotte, go to places that have great cities, great wine culture, but a wholesaler that's willing to uh, court you. Because you go to Florida, it's great. Yeah, sure, you get one bite of Publix, you sell a bunch of I wine. I think what you're trying to say is build a repeat business before you expand, right? Yeah, build a base, but build a base with people that are going to, be respective of what you're trying to do 
And here, here's something interesting, uh, Sid. There's really two things about a wholesaler. And I say this with all great respect because I have a lot of wholesalers that are some of my best friends. Number one, their job is to make money by moving cases. And they make their money off of, and they make money off of their largest suppliers, period. They make money on smaller suppliers, but it takes a lot of smaller suppliers to do the same thing for one large supplier. So at the end of the day, they're making their money off of that. Secondly, they will never do exactly what you hope they will do. They will disappoint you every time. And I, again, I mean that in a great way, because if I was a wholesaler, I would probably do the same thing. I'd probably be a little bit more honest up front and tell people, listen, you place your little brand with us, it's probably not going to get any notice maybe once every three months. A lot of people that are new, especially I mentioned this in my book, go into these wholesalers and say, why aren't they focusing on it? Why aren't they doing the right thing? It's because they just don't make money on your brand at the end of the day. Also, their books are huge and they can't focus on every brand. It's absolutely impossible. So those two things, if you go into every wholesale relationship knowing that you got to do most of the selling, not the wholesaler, and that they make most of their money on a bigger brands, then you could have a more of a, a, a kind of an understanding with the relationship in, in those states. Yeah. So I think it's important Absolutely. that you I think, I think the key, you're right, you're right. I mean, it's, it's basically, you know, you have to make the money and that's how you get their focus and that's how you start building the relationship. You got to come in the market, you got to work the market, you got to move the product and then you got to create that rapport with the distributor and then slowly uh, you got to increase your buyings from you know with them and sort of going to more accounts i mean i'm a big believer of uh looking at a wholesaler uh aiming at a third purchase order not the first not the second you know you should always try to blow your first purchase order with your efforts the second again with your efforts and then the third is when you see the traction from the retail you know uh, basically wholesalers are just sort of helping you access those uh, retail accounts completely agree. They have relationships with those people and they got the feet on the street. If your strategy is to go broad market, meaning, you know, all the little mom and pops out there, you can never reach those. But, you know, to your point though, you made an excellent point, hundred percent agree that this is why you have to keep it to a small amount of markets, unless you invest in a massive sales force, which most people usually cannot, um, because you can't get down to that level that you were mentioning, you know, helping them sell, work in the market by going into the state once every six months or 12 months. It just doesn't work. You, you know, you, to really develop it, you got to do it two to three months. Just one, one point struck me is what our industry really doesn't uh, get it sometimes is you can sell 10,000 cases in 50 big retailers, let's say in New Jersey alone. So it's the game is about penetration as well. You know, you don't need to go wide. You can go deep and and like go heavy you know uh, like for i had my wine in total wine direct program and we were selling a lot of wine right i mean i'm sure you've touched all the big accounts but basically you can really service uh, one account and do it well and then go to the next account and you can still meet your volume targets i mean end of the day that's what matters not number of states or number of countries you're in yes because you're just building a uh, you're building a house of cards instead of a foundation based upon steel absolutely absolutely how, how did you go about finding new wholesalers like was there a strategy like inbound leads trade shows cold calling what was your strategy to find new wholesalers Eric? Uh, well first trade shows are great and and you know this because you're always i love them because you're bouncing into people that you normally wouldn't see in other places you know the I, i'm not going to see most of these people. So it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to all kind of get together in one place for a particular reason. And, and so that's, that is a great one. But secondly, I found 
that most uh, uh, suppliers, most wineries, will post <laughs> who their wholesale network is. So if you're if you don't have any recommendations in the state, if you don't have a contact in Texas to who you should call, right? That's and by the way, that's always the best. Somebody you should know. I should put that at number one. A recommendation or referral from a friend or a colleague. But the um, but the going to their website or calling them and asking them who they use as their wholesaler in, in the in the state is a great way to find out. And I'm sorry, let me back up by saying brands that you want to be. So if I wanted to build the next Silver Oak, I would go to Silver so Oak. So calling your competitor and asking? Absolutely. Just call them up and say, uh, hey, listen, I'm, I'm thinking about distributing the wine. and I'm, I'm a retailer in, in Texas. I know I'm being dishonest here. This is an awful thing. But you call them up and oh, say, I'm, I'm, being, no. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm, a, I'm a retailer in Texas. I'm going to buy your wine. Who should I buy it from? And they'll go, oh, you got to go to XYZ Wholesaler in Texas. And there you go. And you get the wholesaler that Silver Oak is with. And uh and you go, okay, well, if it's good enough for them, maybe they're just good enough for us, you know? So mm -hmm. um, most, and, and I should say, most of the time you don't have to do that. You can just go to their website and you just look on their, who their distribution Sorry. network is. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a great way to Absolutely. do it because, you know, the, you're talking about wineries that are already in a place where you want to be. So then just... And then make just make that cold call, is it? Yeah. Like you used to cold call? Yeah, make the cold call, um, and that's always the toughest thing because then you know you got to get a supplier interested, and I mean a wholesaler interested, mm -hmm. and you should be able to find the right person, and they're always usually accessible. That's that's not an issue. These 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 people are really excellent sure. at handling like a thousand things in one day. They're really really excellent at that. So on email or that, but they'll let you know right away if they're looking for someone or not. If they are, the first thing is mm -hmm. you cannot negotiate this over the phone, over text, whatever you've got to get in front of them. So the first thing is you don't go too far. You just say, I got something really excellent. I, I'd like to present it to you. And you have to get in front of them. That 1000%. That's got to be the next step. So your job is to just Fantastic. get the 20 minutes or a half hour that they'll give you to get in front of them. Sales 101. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's better to not email or not waste that opportunity and just fly down there yeah. with your whole kit i've uh, i've done it how do you qualify your wholesaler i've done a have you burnt money like have you yeah actually yeah, I, was, I was gonna i've done a thing one time where we were really looking for someone in florida and we was between rdc and, and i can't remember who else at the time maybe southern and i literally flew into town without an appointment and told the guy i was down the street <laughs> And he gave me the meat. I don't recommend that for everybody. I had a nice travel budget. And now I had something else to do in the area anyway for work. But uh, yeah, sometimes they just, he felt obligated. And we wound up signing up with him and probably selling, I don't know, $30, $40 million through them over the life of the, of the business. So anyway, I'm sorry, what was your question again? Uh, did you have experience with working with small uh, wholesalers for you know more uh, less known brands? Because uh, my next question was pretty much, how do you qualify your wholesaler? You know, uh, yeah. Like, are there any particular aspects that you look for? You know, their history, number of years they have been in business, number of accounts they service. Yeah, yeah. All of those are important. So, yes, to answer your question, with Vineyard 29, though it's a it's really established, well-known brand, still out in the market, the word, the, the brand name Vineyard 29, it wasn't as, you know, uh, a roll off your tongue as, as Bryant or, you know, a Screaming Eagle. It, it, even though the wine, I think, is as good, if not better, and had a 100-point rating, it still would kind of sit right below those well-known brands. So every market, we wouldn't be incredibly well-known. Other ones, we, we would do very well. But anyway, yes, the, the network is, is completely different, especially at the luxury level. It's more brokers. They're more specialized. And what I look, what I look for 
um, yeah, they're, they, they do more of a brokering because they, you know, they're going into restaurants and more fine wine shops and that kind of stuff. Um, but what I, what I look for is their expertise, number one. Uh, the, and again, I'm speaking for a luxury brand. If it's not a luxury brand, then their expertise about the distribution channel, a little less about the wine. But if you're selling $300 bottle of wine, these, they got to really know how to do that. It's, it's, it takes a different mindset and a different approach. Um, not geeky, that doesn't have to be pompous, but it definitely has to be what a retailer is looking for, a restaurateur is looking for when they have to buy a six pack for you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, thousands of dollars, a 12 pack for thousands of dollars. Um, so, you know, it's the passion about the wine. It's the knowledge. It's the interest. It's their connections more than anything else. They should be able to tell you. It's their accounts, basically. Like, yeah, they you should know, be able to uh, tell you their relationships their, yeah. with their accounts. Mm -hmm. They should have a really clear idea of what their world looks like. So to your, que the answer, to your question about, you know, new versus established, I, I think someone in the middle, too. Again, based on my experience, someone who's been around, I'm kind of rest on their laurels a little bit. Someone who's new doesn't have all the great contacts that you need. So someone's still hungry, maybe established five or seven years ago, but this drug is still out there killing it and still maybe has accounts to tackle. You want someone who's in the game, not just living off of the last 20 years of sales. Um, Got it. And then so walk, and walk us through. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the last thing is when, you know, uh, just to feel. You know, again, it's it's there's an intuitiveness to that you just need to have sometimes that it's you know the, did the conversation go well on the phone? Did they respond to the email? Did they look like they'd be active, or did you have to bug them over a couple period of time? Because if the conversation is difficult at first or awkward or something just red flag, then I promise you that something else will be worse if you if you get in it with them. Later You're on. so right. You're yeah. so right. Like sometimes you can you can see their promptness in their replies and then Absolutely. forget about them replying on your payment. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. So uh, uh, walk us through some tactical advice, Eric. Like, give me an example of a good uh, introduction email or uh, asking for a closure email or like just walk. Give me some tactics here, like just some words that trigger them. Um, well, you know, the uh, you know, if, if you don't mind, let's talk about a meeting. I, I've watched people be able to get meetings, you know, an email or. And I should say, everything's got to be brief. I mentioned before, wholesalers have, if you're busy managing a winery or wine brand, I, I promise you the wholesaler is 10 times busier. They just have so much more on their plates with all the dynamics. They're dealing with the suppliers, which we can get what I call a little scutchy sometimes, right? And on the other side, they're dealing with all the ret retailer uh, demands, which is just going to be insane, not only for payments and last minute wine shipments and bad wine and all this blah, 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 blah. And then they have their own internal pressures, which is a high, high pressure sales environment. So they're, they're really stressed all the time, most of them. Um, so what I, I have this uh, four imperatives of when you engage the uh, hotel network in my book, kind of thought through it. And, and the first thing, and this is from being in meetings that were awful and meetings that were excellent. And this is my kind of deduction on what I thought were the best things. First is be really buttoned up and on time. Uh, you would I, you would think that that's a pretty obvious statement to make, but buttoned up meaning like have the pricing, have the marketing materials. Just make sure you come to the meeting, just really really buttoned up and um, ready to answer any question they have. Because normally they only have 
20, 30 minutes. If they sit with you longer, that's fine. But if you give them, you always say to them when you walk in the meeting, 30 minutes, we should be able to get everything done here. If you walk in the meeting and start pontificating and talking too much, like I have a tendency to do sometimes, then they're just going to shut you down after a while. And they're not going to want to have you back because it's just someone who they just don't, you might be awesome. Your wine might be awesome, but they just don't have the time to sit there and babysit and ther- be your therapist. They, it's business. Get in the meeting, do the handshake, kiss babies, and then get 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 to work over the next twenty minutes. So come prepared. Number, uh, what would you want to cover in those meetings? Um, well, uh, the, the you know the well, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If it's a intro meeting or if it's a you know check-in meeting. But uh, the other thing you should do is be brief. Um, you know, like I said, keep it to the time frame, the 20 minutes, and make sure you stay on that. Um, also, what you want to accomplish in those meetings, if it's a first meeting, then you want to just set up what you can do and provide for them. How can you make them money? You've got to remember that your brand, even though it's awesome, and you might have some rock on the label off your property some for some creepy reason that you love your rock and you called your brand Black Rock and, you know, blah, blah, blah. They've seen everything. They've seen George Clooney walk in the door with a tequila to BlackRock. So, you know, be proud and be firm, but, but just let, let them know that, you, you know, you're going to, this is what you have very quickly. And this is what, um, this is how you can go about it. Then ask them questions right after that. What, what, so what do you think? What's your initial response? Um, you know, maybe they want to do a tasting. If not, then you have to send in wine. So it depends on really the flow of the meeting. And I would feel it out, see if they're interested or if they're just fluffing me. If they're just fluffing me, then probably 20 minutes will go by and I'll say thank you very much and I'll head out the door. But if they look engaged, and by the way, they, they will tell you engagement kind of things, like there'll be action items. They won't be, well, yeah, this looks really good. Oh, this is interesting. There'll be action items like, okay, I need you to meet with Bob next week. I need to get you with a pricing person to ferret that out. They'll have really excellent action items for you to work off of. So you'll know at the end of the meeting, if it's a, hey, yeah, we'll go out on a date again uh, next time you're in town versus I'm going to call you next week. You call me, let's do this, send this over, send me wine. You need to come to my sales meeting so you can do a tasting. That's cues that you're heading in the right direction. Um, The, yeah, so you asked the question, you know, what do you want to accomplish? I think though that where people really screw up, most people can sell a brand and sell a seller is the ongoing stuff it said like when you know sales are not that great and you have to go in and do your reviews i think you know your reviews have to be at least every six months anything more than that your wholesaler will not dig it and anything longer than that you kind of lose sight of the short-term goals so when you go into six months i think it's absolutely imperative and this is the gold star you know thing i believe works is um you have to bring an account list. You have to work with the salespeople at the wholesaler to bring an account list to make sure that you go through an account list. To sit there and just do fluffy numbers at a high level is only going to get you that. They're going to they're going to double talk you and say, oh no no, we could do two percent versus one percent. And if you have accounts that say, okay, we're in this one, we're targeting these other ten, we're going after Silver Oak. These ten accounts have Silver Oak, so we need our brand in there then you have a real tangible thing. And then by the way, one last thing is then you have a list that you can go work. You know, they, if you have a list of 20 accounts, restaurants in Dallas that you have to get into, then you can go work the market and sell the wine in for them. And they will True. love you. You can also go it. and say hello to your accounts and all that. Yeah. They will love you for it. Respect the sales rep. Let them know you're going into the account. Maybe sometimes they'll want to come with you. 
but they will adore you if you start selling wine for them. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. What, what's what's uh, one of those, uh, you know, wh- how would you cover your uh, brand kickoff meeting in the distributor's office? You know, how do you pump your sa- uh, distributor sales reps? How do I prepare them? Yeah. How do you motivate them uh, to sell your wine? Because they have all the <laughs> options. Like they can pick any one's wine yeah. that Monday morning. Uh, this is, this is a, thank you for asking this, by the way, because this is one of my, uh, you know, one of the things that I found. I've, I've had to stand up in front of thousands and thousands of, of, of wholesale reps, um, rooms with 100 people and rooms with five people presenting wine, right? Presenting whatever new launch we have, whatever it is. If it's a new brand or if it's an existing brand and we have new wines, new vintages, whatever. Here's the greatest thing that I realized. And you look around the room, you get about 10 or 15 minutes into it, and you realize who's into it and who's not. If they have wine in front of them or not. So it's it's absolutely, I would, you know, there's an 80-20 rule. This is the, I call it the 98-2 rule. There's going to be 2% of the people in the room that are going to be engaged. They'll ask you a question. They'll be tasting the wine. They'll look at you. The other 98%, your head could explode on the stage and they could care less. And I mean that in a nice way, in a funny way, but you know, they got other things in their mind. They got other worries, but there's going to be those two people. And I always tell the sales reps that worked for me. I said, those two people, identify them after the meeting's over, go up to them, engage them, get the card and follow up with them afterwards. And those two will be 80, 90% of your sales. Don't neglect the rest. But those two or four or whatever it is, those 2% are going to be your rock stars. So treat them like a rock star, you know? And I find that that works really, really well almost every time. Agreed. Agreed. Spot on. Uh, what kind of support programs, Eric, you know, uh, you would suggest wineries yeah. uh, to give to their distributors? You know, the, the bigger brands and the mid-sized brands need support programs. And it's, I, again, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but I I disagree with them because I think wholesalers are paid really well to actually sell wine. So to incent people to actually do their job is frustrating to me. And I, I, I have, no problem saying that, but I also but I think they, they do have to pass it on to the retailers most of the time, don't you think? Like they do give away those that programming. Uh, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It depends if the program's for the sales reps to sell it or if it's for the retailers. There's two different types of programs. So a marketing, a brand manager would put together two different types of programs. One would be to incent that every placement you got of a $300 bottle of wine, you'll get $100 and the wholesaler will get that. Um, and there's ways that they can do that to, to, to make it, make it work. So those I don't agree with, and they don't happen that very often, but to answer your question, I think more where you're going was to incent, you know, the, whatever it is, you get a case, if you buy 10 cases, that kind of stuff, or you get some kind of marketing material and that kind of stuff. Well, it really depends on the type of brand that you have. Absolutely. If you have a giant brand like Kendall Jackson, the programs are all highly sophisticated and there was about 10 of them because there was different types of retailers. To try to do one program that appeases to all retailers is really difficult because they all have different goals. Some of them can take in 50 cases. Some of them only can take in five because it's a little liquor store in, in Newark, New Jersey, you know? So, um, so the candidly, the, the number one thing that works is uh, quantity discounts. That's just, just age as old as, as wine has, has been around. You know, the retailers love that. <laughs> True. They, and you're giving away in cases. So it's, yeah, it's amazing that, for the wineries. That's well. the best. Um, the, uh, that's really the, the main one that works. There's been a whole bunch of other ones, trips or 
but you got to be careful. Every state has different laws, and it gets very complicated. True. So the American Express five hundred dollar card. <laughs> yeah, or gas cards for for people. They love those, by the way. That's pretty awesome, especially with gas being so expensive in California. You know, you give someone a gas card, it's like giving them gold. So there's there is fun little. I love gift cards. I think those are the most flexible. A hundred dollar Amazon card because they're easy. You just you bring to the meeting twenty of them, and you can hand them out um, on the next meeting when people uh, achieve their goal. So you, you put the incentive in place for the wholesaler. You come to the next meeting with 20 of them and you hand them out. Say, congratulations, you got 500, you got 100, you got 100. 100. People just love that. That's money in their hands to be able to spend however they want. So, yeah, it's not sexy, but it's, um, it's, it's just the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. I think uh, pretty much, I mean, 80% of the, the job is marketing and distribution and programming. You know, yeah. everyone's making a good wine. So I think you want to focus uh, more on how you're going to help your accounts sell, right? Sell through. Uh-huh. Uh, what do you do uh, when when performance is weak? Like, let's say you've supplied a pallet and things are not moving. Like, how would you advise wineries to sort of yeah. you know help your distributor? Well, and you, you you what you mentioned is exactly the reason why I named the book "When Great Wine Is Not Enough." Because you and I both know, and probably everybody listening to this knows that you have there's outstanding wine out there that just never sees where it should go and, and, and could be better than most of the wine you're drinking in your local shop. It just never makes it there because the sales and marketing aspect of it fell down. It wasn't planned out or it was kind of not done well. So doing it early on in the process, what my whole book is about making sure that you focus on it, that the wine absolutely is your rock star. Absolutely. The winemaker is your rock star. That's your Steven Tyler. I get it. You know, and, and that person should be, they're the artist, they're the scientist. But, um, but when you have a palette that goes in and doesn't move, you got to move it yourself. A hundred percent. There's no other way you can beat on the wholesaler. I mean, let me take a step back. You can, you can say to them first, Hey, listen, it's not moving. What can we do? What kind of incentives should we put in place? You know, the problem with that, though, is you're going to have to put incentives then every time they get stuck. And, you know, it's, that's, that's okay, but you're kind of now making a habit that every time they don't perform, you got to give them a carrot to perform. So there's got to be a, you know, they make a margin off of the wine. So that's, you know, that, that should be the carrot. Um, so when you've taken one or two steps and been patient and been nice, you can't be, you know, condescending. You can't be mean to them. They're very, very uh, busy. You know, and I say that again in a nice way. We're business people, and it's not like we're mean to people, but we kind of get like, my wine is awesome. Why aren't you selling it? And you call them up, and you're slamming your hand on your desk. And sometimes you just got to just say, okay, I know they're going through their business, and I got to work through the process. But then when you get to that second time, said so then you got to go sell it. You got to go into the market with your account list and try to get those cases out the door. Once you do, if you do that, if they're impressed by it and they buy another palette and do it, great. If they don't, then you have to evaluate the relationship. In the states where you're not legally obligated to them, then you have to consider going with someone else because you'll just have the same problem with another pallet. You'll be six months down the road with a far less distribution and same problem on your hands. Super, super, Eric. So I think there's lots in your book, I'm sure. You know, we've just touched on a few things here. So uh, just tell us a little bit about your book and then uh, we'll just uh, provide the link uh, about the book and the podcast as well. Thank you. So people can find that. Thank you very much. Well, you know, it was, it, writing a book is not something that I would say I'm built for. I'm a wine guy. And it's it's hard to sit down and do those 10,000 hours of writing it. But once you get into it, it's amazing how uh, difficult, but how fun it was. And feel like you're helping at least just one person out there. So 
for you know the people out there that are interested, it goes through uh, you know all the marketing stuff, your statements, your 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 kind of uh, what do you call it? Your um, your uh, defining you know uh, your brand essence and your brand positioning and your like elevator pitch. Yeah, that stuff. Brand but, identity. I but guess, it comes yeah. from experience. This is you know I don't say write a whole page kind of uh, you know mission statement. Right, right. It's just a couple sentences that mean something to you. You know. Um, and what you need to know, I, I try to let people know all the things that they should know now so they don't find them out later. 90% of the people who start wine brands find things out later on. And if they hire someone like me or if they read this book, then they, they learn them up earlier. So things like um, I actually have a whole section on luxury and the art of excellence. And the reason why is because it's not just about building a brand, but it's also we're in luxury wine. I don't care if it's $6 wine or if it's an $80 wine or 180 Luxury wine is luxury. Nobody needs it. It's it's an absolute nice to have. So I have a whole section on what luxury means and how do you market and sell luxury and how do you purvey excellence throughout the organization so you can create a culture also that your brand is being built in that will purvey beyond the brand walls out to your retailers and wholesalers. Um, and then the last two sections are the lion's share of the book, the marketing section, and of course the sales section. And I don't go into crazy detail. Each little section in sales said could be a whole book you know how do you like what the discussion we're having the wholesaler section right or direct consumer section i have a whole you know but I, I try to take things down to it's only 180 pages and the reason why is because i have add most wholesalers and people in the wine business have add because we're just too busy so i love reading books that kind of get to the point and this book gets to the point you know you i the direct consumer section is only a couple pages the wholesale section is only about 10 pages because i I just want to talk about what's the most important topics up front and try not to pontificate on everything else. So I think, you know, whoever reads this, if they're building a brand, will absolutely walk away with, you know, 10 or 15 things. So the mistakes that I've made and the successes that I've had, they'll be able to have those in their back pocket and not have to go through the 18 years uh, that I uh, went through to find out some of those things. So I'm very proud of it. So thank you for helping me promote it today. Fantastic and well done. Thank you. So, so great. Uh, thanks a lot, Eric. I think uh, we've learned uh, some valuable lessons here and especially on the distribution side of things.